Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come to you, we sing, but certainly we pray. And in our posture of song and our posture of prayer, God, we surrender to you. And for each person here, that might look different. The, the path looks different. The, 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 the item of surrender, perhaps, God, even today, it's simply a, a, a track of recognizing, hey, the summer has looked a certain way, and I recognize, God, that you are asking for me to surrender. And so now I do so. I, I lay it down. I lay my life. I lay whatever it is down before you. God, may we not allow the things of this world, even the, the, the good things, even traditions or religious practice to be things that cloud us from what you want, from what you desire for us, which is to be open and to be uh, men and women after your own heart. And so, God, as we gather in this place and we worship you in several different ways, God, one of those ways being song, may this not just be a song that we sing in this space and then move on about our day, but may it be something, God, that permeates deep within our hearts so that we might continue to sing this song in word and deed and thought and action. God, we surrender to you. We make room for you. We set all aside. We invite you in. We dine with you. We allow you, Father, to, to examine the parts of our lives that, that maybe are in the dark or maybe haven't been revealed to you, Father, and we allow you to change us, to transform us, to make us new. God, I pray that prayer over each one of us here today and those even joining online. Father, this would be a moment of surrender. God, we lift up the needs that we have today. We lift up the things that are going on in our lives for those that are walking through a, a difficult time physically or emotionally, mentally, even spiritually. God, I pray that you be with broken relationships, be with families, be with the students that are here, God, that are returning or coming to school for the first time. Father, I pray that you would be there, be present with each one. God, give them a sense of your comfort, your peace. Father, we ask that during this service, uh, we know that you're here. We know that you're always present, but we invite you in. We ask that you would speak to us. You would continue to bring forth your way, that your spirit would speak loudly to each of us so that we might know you, grow in you that your spirit and your, your word and, and your people would, would each one edify each person here and that we could glorify you in the process. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. We ask you, Father, to continue to move in our midst and allow us, Father, to be part of your redemptive work. And it's in your son's precious and perfect and holy name that we pray and all of us said together, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as the ushers come at this time, I do have some things to, to share with you. First, let me say, if you're joining us for the first time, I am so uh, excited that you're here. My name is Steve Warren, and I serve as the lead pastor here at, at CCWC. And certainly, we want you uh, to, to be comfortable. We want you to, to kind of get to know us a little bit. Sometimes coming into a new place, it can be difficult because everybody else seems to know the deal, and you don't. And so let me just say welcome, and we want to answer questions you have. We want to engage with you. One of the ways you can do that is you can fill out this connection card in the seat in front of you and take it to the information center before you leave. We've got a free gift for you as a way of saying welcome. We're glad you're here and we'll answer any questions you have, help you get connected in any way that you'd like to. Additionally, on top of that, if you'd like to scan the QR code in front of you, you can do that if you'd rather, uh, but make sure you stop by the info center and let them know you did that so that we can get you that gift as well. The only uh, one time that I would say that uh, we say don't uh, go to the information center with the connect card is if you have a prayer request. And so 
We have a team uh, that actually meets in the chapel on Sunday mornings and prays specifically for this time and for the needs that are brought before them uh, from this church on a weekly basis. And so if you have a prayer request today and you would like uh, someone to pray over that today in, uh, in real time during this service, we just encourage you to fill this out and put your prayer request here. There's also space on the back. And then you can either hand that to an usher. You can kind of put it up like this when the ushers in the back will come receive that from you. But we would love to be able to pray with you and pray for you you today if possible. Well, let me say, I already said welcome, but let me say welcome uh, college students. Welcome back. We're so excited to have you back. I know that sometimes we kind of get into this mode if, you, if you're from here or if you live here, like, oh, wow, don't go to Kroger or Walmart for a couple of weeks. Um, but that is a small price to pay to be able to worship with you again. And so we are so excited to have you back. One of the things that we're uh, bringing back, it's a ministry that has practiced here in the past, but we're bringing back this year is a means to be able to, to uh, welcome you back to our community and to help create a home away from home. One of the things we recognize for you is many of you, you, you don't get to go home often. Maybe it's several hours away or beyond that even. And so when you come here, uh, you come to, to, to school, you have maybe your your friends you room with or, you know, roommates, whatever that looks like, but you don't really have that church home. You come here on Sunday mornings, but that's about it. And we want to be able to connect with you and create a place where you can be uh, engaged and where you can feel uh, like this is a home away from home for you. And so one of the things we're doing this year is we're engaging in the Adopt-A-Student program again. This is something that we do here at CCWC as a means to be able to, to uh, bring families and college students together. And so we, uh, we've been promoting this for a couple of weeks here, and in preparation for your return. And we've had a lot of families and couples already step up and say, hey, we would like to adopt a student or uh, two or three. Uh, and so now, uh, uh, obviously, if you're a family and you want to do this, you're still willing or still, uh, we'd love to have you jump in. But if you're a college student and you would like to be adopted, what we want to encourage you to do is one of two things. That QR code on the seat in front of you, you can sign up there or stop by our table in the next steps area. There's two cards there. One of them is yellow, and this says, yes, I want to adopt a student. So this is for those of you families that would like to adopt a student. And the other one is a cream color or off-white. This is for college students. So if you would like to be adopted, uh, just fill this out. Leave it at the table there. In the next few weeks, we're going to put uh, uh, couples and or families, whatever it might be, and college students together and give you the opportunity to meet and uh, to get to know each other. This is a place where you can go and get a home-cooked meal. These are families that will take you along in activities and events, uh, perhaps do your laundry or let you use use their laundry uh, machine if you don't have one. But in any event, we would love uh, for you to get connected. We want you to feel welcome here. We want you to know that this is your church home. It's not just a place where you check in uh, throughout the year for maybe four or five years or however long you're here in town. This is your church home, and we're glad that you're here. You are welcome here. So thank you for coming, and certainly get involved because we want you to. A um, couple other things I do want to mention. Uh, this Saturday, we're going to celebrate uh, Lynn Richard, who has been our director of congregational care for a number of years and worn, worn a ton of hats over the course of the last 18 years. She's going to be retiring uh, from official service here at the church. And so we're excited to celebrate with her and celebrate her time here. She served. We want to encourage you to come on Saturday. It's from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock in this space and also in the lobby. And then at 5.30 during that time, the rest of it's an open house, but during that time at 5.30, we're going to have a time where people are going to share tributes. We have a video for her as well. And so I encourage you to come and support her, maybe share with her a way that uh, her ministry uh, has touched your life 
life or touch the lives of the people that you love. And then finally, um, the, the big kickoff, our big kickoff is coming. It's always the week after Labor Day, so it'll be the 10th this year. Uh, we're kicking off a new series, Who's Your Plus One? And so I'll be sharing more about that uh, next week, but really excited about what that looks like. And then in the evening, we're kicking off two main things. The first one is uh, children's ministry. And so uh, the youth ministry uh, will meet throughout the year. Children's ministry in Club 56, usually fifth and sixth grade ministry, take a break during the summer. But they will be back uh, starting on the 10th. And at the same time, we'll kick off many of the groups that take place throughout the church uh, throughout the week. But also, particularly on Sunday night, we have our community collective groups, which meet in this room. And uh, the last semester, the last two semesters, we've been studying or watching The Chosen together. And then after we watch the video, we have a time of discussion and a time of prayer together. And so it's been a really special thing. And so if you haven't joined a group yet, we encourage you to do so. An easy on-ramp for that is to come to the community collective. It takes place at six o'clock here in this space, and we're more than happy. We've got plenty of space, and we'd love for you to join in that. I believe we do have a video, and that is going to be just a highlight of the study we have this year or for this semester, which is our uh, chosen part three. I am. Um, you're losing something. I know what that's like. What are you losing? say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Someone touched me. If you are really the one who is to come, should we look for someone else? Go and tell John what you hear and see. Who is it? Where did we stop? It's him. I'm Judas of Keriot. I have chosen you twelve as my apostles. Don't feel any different? I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. What is stirring in your hearts? In the middle of such division and unrest, is Father God being revealed to you? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. A scourge of false prophecy must stop. Jesus, if you do not renounce your words, we will have no choice but to follow the law of Moses. I am the law of Moses. They're here for Jesus of Nazareth. More valuable than gold, more precious than rubies. Force them out. We are still Rome. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I'm the one who caused their hunger. I should be the one to feed them. He who had... You'll have to show up to see how that sentence ends. <laughs> well, today we conclude our series, our summer series we've been walking through, uh, highlighting and looking specifically at the 
guides and helps to holy living, what it means to live a life that honors God. And certainly we've walked through several things that have detailed uh, uh, spiritual disciplines and things that God has called us to. In all of those, there's a recognition that they are not simple ways to get God to love us, but they are specifically ways that we embrace that love and we live that love out and we grow in discipleship from that. Today we're going to look specifically at faith and we're going to look specifically at honesty. And as I think about these concepts, I can't help but be reminded of times in life where faith and honesty have played a great role, uh, whether they were, um, they were something that was practiced or they were something that uh, became a bit of a speed bump or a failure or a learning time. When I was younger, my parents, um, they ran a, um, an activity or an event on the 4th of July uh, called the Freedom Festival. And this was an event that would take place every year in my hometown at the airport. And basically, there would be a lot of different activities, a lot of different events. There was a, an air show. There, was, uh, there were games. There were, there were rides. There were different uh, bands that would come in, and they would speak, or they would sing, I should say. And there were speakers that would come in, and they would speak about freedom and the different things uh, that they'd experienced uh, in the military or in service or whatever that might be. And my parents would always have different activities for the children, specifically activities that, uh, uh, you know, games and rides, that kind of thing. But specifically activities that would be contests, like a watermelon eating contest or how far you could spit a watermelon seed. They would have contests uh, that, that would typically be things you would see at a, at a barbecue in the summer on the 4th of July. And one year, it being an air show, specifically at that time, my parents decided they were going to have a paper airplane throwing contest. Oh, that's why he's been doing that paper thing the whole time. And I remember thinking to myself, knowing about the planning of the contest coming up, that I want to be known as the paper airplane throwing guy. I got the, the jump on everything. My parents, uh, they, they, they are the ones that are in charge of it. So obviously, if there's any kind of judgment call, I'm going to win, right? I'm, I'm their kid, right? I knew about uh, folding paper, which you guys can see as one of the many skills that I have besides standing up here and talking. I can fold paper at the same time. But what I recognized specifically about that time, even though I knew the answers, I knew the different things, it didn't make it the, or didn't give me in any way some superhuman strength to be able to throw the airplane better than anyone else. The way the contest went was a come and go, so you would show up uh, whenever you wanted to between these hours. I don't know what exactly what it was, maybe sometime in the afternoon, one to three. You could show up anytime you wanted to and throw your airplane, and then they would record how far you threw it, and you would uh, then be recorded on the sheet, and at the end, they would announce who the winner was, and they would get a prize, a golden airplane or something, I don't know, whatever it was. And so I, early on, decided I was going to take my throw, and I remember getting the airplane, putting everything together, throwing it, and I mean, it just went, right? I'm not going to throw it right now because I don't want to hit anybody because, like I told you before, I'm pretty good at this. So I, I threw <laughs> through the airplane, it went, and being the only uh, competitor at the time, I was in first place. I stayed in first place for a while because I was better than both my sisters at it and uh, that, that tried. One of them didn't even try. She was like, no, you're too good. And uh, they, they threw. Some other kids started to come. And as they were throwing, I noticed there were kids that were coming up on my record. And then there was this kid that came that, I mean, there was no way that he was under 13. But somehow he picked up that paper 
He folded it into a paper airplane and he threw that thing and it went twice as far as mine. And I thought, oh man, this stinks. And then I remembered not a loophole, but a rule, which was every kid gets two throws. And so as my parents were talking, doing something as they were putting things together for the events that were coming beyond this one, I remember taking my airplane and saying, I'm going to take this second throw and I'm going to throw it so far. And I just took it and I threw it as far as I could and it did pretty much that, actually. It kind of turned, it veered, and that was it. And I looked around and I saw my parents weren't looking. I saw there was no one looking. I went and I got my airplane, okay? Follow me on this. Picked up the airplane, looked around, threw it again. It did a little better than that when I did it the second time. Went into first place. I went and told my parents, look, look how far I threw my airplane. My dad said this to me, which I so much appreciate but did not take advantage of. Are you sure that you did this? I said, yeah, of course I did that. I took the plane, I threw it, and then I'm rationalizing a little bit. Yeah, I did do that. I literally did that. And then he gave it to me again. Are you sure you did that in one throw? <laughs> so now there's no wiggle room. Yes, I'm sure, one throw. Well, as fortune would have it, I was rescued from my sin because the other boy, who was much better than me, came back, threw again with his second throw, and killed me again. My cheat throw he even beat. And from that moment, I realized, not necessarily from losing the contest, but I realized the importance of honesty because I was eaten alive for the next 28 minutes and 36 seconds before that boy came back and threw his second throw. Because I thought to myself, what am I going to do when they announce my name as the winner of this contest and I know that I cheated. I wasn't honest. I wasn't faithful to the rules. You know, as we look at honesty and we look at faithfulness, specifically as it pertains to our lives and it pertains to our spiritual lives, sometimes God even gives us an out. Sometimes we find ourselves in places where we're in the airplane throwing contest. We see a little wrinkle. We see a little rule. We see a way that we can kind of get a, a, a leg up or appear to be something that we are not. And we take that way. We take that advantage and all, all it does, in all aspects and all ways, is set us up for failure, for guilt, for discouragement, and for ultimately a separation of relationship with the creator God who loves us and wants us to love him in return. Because that's ultimately what dishonesty, that's ultimately what the lack of faithfulness does, is it separates us from the creator, from the one who loves us. The Guides and Help to Holy Living, this is the last one of, of the Wesleyan Discipline. It reads like this. How do we live towards others? To live honestly, be just in all dealings, and faithful in all commitments. I'm going to read today from a passage that is from the book of Acts, but if you, were, if you didn't have a reference and perhaps change the names, you might believe or might think that it's in the Old Testament because of the nature for which what happens. This book uh, is, or this passage is from the book of Acts, which is in, in, in many circles is considered Luke part two. This is what happened after Jesus left or the beginning of Jesus being there and then after he left. This is the first church. This is the, 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 the recordance of those who follow Jesus coming together saying, okay, what are we going to do now with this gospel, with this good news that we've received? And so the story that we're going to read is in chapter 5 of 
in the book of Acts. Before this, you're reading about all the, the things that are happening, the prayers, the way that the Holy Spirit has, has come upon them. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And these, uh, these people are giving all that they have. They're doing all that they can. And here we find in chapter 5, the first 11 verses, this couple who is attempting to join in the excitement and join in the movement of what the Holy Spirit's doing in their midst. It's actually uh, interesting to note that it comes on the, uh, uh, right after chapter 4 on the heels of the actions of a man named Barnabas who at the time was doing a great job following God. And as Barnabas was following God, he recognized he had some property. He had some things that, that, uh, that he wasn't using. He said, okay, I'm going to take this. I'm going to sell this. I'm going to give all the money to the apostles because I see that there are needs here and I want the needs to be met. And so I'm going to give my resources for them. And so this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they decided at this time that uh, in, in either being caught up in all the excitement, recognizing the property they had, or perhaps because they wanted someone to see them differently, they took action. They saw the action that had taken place, and so they took action. They wanted to, to get some of the attention or the same attention that was given to Barnabas. They sought out the same, and so what they did was quite discouraging, but at the same time, and the punishment is telling. And so I'm going to read chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And I encourage you to turn to your Bible there if you haven't already. Or pull it up on your smart device and keep your finger in your Bible or keep it open on your smart device. Because we're going to continue to jump back to it as we go. And it reads like this. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So they are responding in, in kind. They saw what had taken place. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So at this point, he and his wife sold the property. They are in unison together in the action that's taking place. He's keeping some of the money, but he's taking the rest to the apostles. This is, so far, this is a great thing, right? Verse 3 says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan was so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have lied. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And so here we see that he is, uh, Peter is, is being given the, the, the supernatural power to be able to see and discern what's taking place here. And he's speaking directly to this man saying, look, here is, here is, here's the, the nature of what's taking place. You did a great thing by selling this property and bringing it, but you lied to us in the amount that you're bringing. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Did you, did you make two throws, or was this just one? Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And verse 11 says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about 
these events. So the couple saw how people responded to Barnabas' sacrifice and gift, and they wanted to receive the same attention. They wanted to be seen in the same light. So they sold this field to the church. They kept back some of the money, which necessarily at that point wasn't necessarily a sin because they hadn't promised to give anything. And so they kept back some of the money. And then at that point, Ananias came, and when he gave the money, it was discovered that while he said he was giving all of it, he had kept some back. So he lied to the church, and Peter, not being fooled, called him on it. The Holy Spirit was lied to, and at that point, he died. His wife came in, she did the same thing, and she also died. And I can say this right now, if we were just to read this passage for the day, your, your morning reader, you'd probably leave this passage pretty discouraged. You'd read it and say, okay, well, that's scary and at the same time a little bit discouraging. God didn't really give them much grace. Why on earth did this happen? This is somewhat of a crazy thing to read about. God is just killing people for one sin. So what do we think about this? What do we, how do we respond to this? This is a tragic story. Perhaps one of the best takeaways that we can find from this is not necessarily taking it uh, at, at face value, but allowing the Spirit to speak through what actually happened here, to read between the lines of what God was doing. The first thing to look at is the punishment of this couple was a direct response to the hypocrisy or the hypocritical mask that they were wearing. And if you're a note taker, the first point is this, do not pretend to be something you're not. Do not to pretend to be something you're not. You've probably heard this before. You've probably heard it as a child or maybe even beyond. Don't pretend to be something you're not, which is pretty simple to say. But there are huge implications, negative consequences that come specifically when we pretend to be something we're not. In verse 1 through 4, we see that they came and they wanted to do such good things, but their, their motive was personally selfish. And in turn, they decided to do something that, that helped them or made them look or elevated them to a place into something that they weren't. So why the charade? Why did they do this? In 2003, a movie came out called Daddy Daycare, and it reminds me of what we see during a, a specific season during fall when kids dress up in, in costumes and different things. In the movie, there was a little boy, his name was actually Tony. I had to look that up because I didn't know what the name was. A little boy named Tony who dressed in the Flash costume, which if you're going to pick a superhero, there isn't a worse one in case you wanted to know. But he dressed in a flash costume. He wore it all the time. He, he had this costume on all the time. In fact, he wasn't even recognizable outside of it because at a certain point in the movie, he took the costume off and the, and the leaders or the, the head of the daycare saw this boy and said, who is that? We don't even know who this kid is. He wore this mask. He, he had this on and he had this mind that that was literally who he was and even wanted to be called the Flash. And sadly, spiritually speaking, sometimes we need to do the same thing. We get this particular persona about ourselves because of our long standing in the church or because of the, the things that we've done or the accomplishments that we have or the, the way that we've been elevated in some specific way or the things that, that, that we even have gotten praise for. And that begins to put the, this, this persona up or this wall up and we have this mask on that we have to appear a certain way as if we're, we're some kind of perfect being or some kind of cyborg or robot. And instead, what God is saying specifically here to these individuals is, look, I don't want that mask. I don't want you to wear the mask. I don't want this, this fake person. I want a real and lasting relationship with the person I created in my own image. 
Because ultimately, when we wear a mask, when you and I wear a mask, we're creating our own image. We're creating ourselves, our personality, who we are in our own image. And what God is saying is, no, 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 I don't want that fake person. I want you. I want you with the scars, and I want you with the warts, and I want you with the, with the imperfections because I love you. I don't love the false. I love the real, the genuine article. And the way that you were created, the person that God created you to be, that's the one he loves. Not the person that you appear to be when you post pictures of yourself on, on social media, or you try to make yourself look better, or you try to, in this case, fool the church or fool the Holy Spirit. Maybe some questions to ask if we're trying to determine whether or not we're, we're pretending or not. The first one is, if you were, if you were uh, to determine if you are pretending, the first one is this. Do I consistently seek the opinion or approval of others? Am I wearing a mask? Do I, do I consistently seek the opinion or the approval of others? Another question is, do I put up barriers to those who should be the closest and open with, that I should be the closest and open with, like my spouse or my parents or my roommates or my accountability partner? close friend. Another one is, do I rarely self-evaluate or self-reflect the why behind my decisions? Do you ever sit down at the end of a day and think, okay, why did I have this conversation? Why did I say this thing? Why did I make this decision? Why did I go to that place? Another question is, are you in the constant state of complete exhaustion from acting, from pretending, from wearing a mask, from keeping up appearances. Maybe one more. Do you have the posture or willingness to stonewall the voice of the Holy Spirit and to engage in obvious sinful activities in hopes of keeping up appearances? Are you willing to go to that place, to go to that party, to find yourself in a place where you're willing to cheat or to, to lie about somebody at work so that you can get ahead? Are you, are you willing to, 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 to do whatever it takes and stonewall the voice of the Holy Spirit? The opposite of what we just sang about, which is to give God space, to say, no, no space in my life. So what do we do about it? The simple response is be who you are. Be who God created you to be. Not what the world says you are. And, not, not, and this isn't one of those emotional, oh, you be you, you do you. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God created you in a certain way. And when, when you, in all aspects, in all way, don't be you, guess what you're doing? You're robbing the world and you're robbing God of being able to be in your presence. Get that for a minute. When, when you are trying to be somebody else, when you're trying to, to live somebody else's life, when you're trying to live up to what somebody else might think of you, you're robbing the world of what God created you to be uniquely in your way to impact your sphere of influence. Perhaps God wants to use you in a very real way with, with your roommates or with, with your family or with those at work. And instead you're finding time or you're making time to try to be or to do something else, to, to keep up some kind of mask. And guess what happens? The, the people that you're engaging with, the people that you're around, they, they miss out, they lose out on the image of God seen through you and heard through your words. Ananias and Sapphira lied to God and to his people. They weren't honest. They weren't faithful. They were living a lie, and sometimes living a lie, specifically in this case, brings forth death, and sometimes it brings forth even spiritual death in our lives. But those around us miss out as an, on an account as a result of, of this type of ac action and this type of attitude. 
I played soccer uh, all growing up, and I remember specifically the day that we decided this is the goalie that we're going to have. This guy was so good. He was the best goalie uh, in, in the county. He was, in, in, in fact, when we got into high school, he was, uh, all, he was first team all Ohio. He was such a good goalie. But I remember one day, one day he said, I'm tired of being goalie. I don't want to be a goalie anymore. It was, we were, I think we were in 10th, 9th, 10th grade, somewhere in there. And he said, I don't want to be a goalie anymore. And he decided he was going to play forward. And guess what? We lost that game. We, we didn't score any goals, but we gave up a ton of goals. And I can't help but remember the fact that I thought, man, he was trying to be something that he wasn't. He was trying to engage in a way that God didn't create him to, to engage. And I think we, we do that, right? We do that in our own lives. And I know that's just a, a sports analogy, but certainly in our own lives, sometimes we want to be something else. We want to do something else. We want to take on something else. And we're, 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 just, we're just not fit. We're not, we're not gifted. We're not given that moment, that place. And so we put up this wall, we wear this mask, and we say, this is who I want to be. And instead, the, the, the alternative is that God misses out we miss out and those around us miss out. Ananias and Sapphira were caught up in what everyone else around them thought of them. And the second point is this, serve an audience of one. Be faithful to him only. This, simple things make it easy, right? I don't know if you realize this or not, but sometimes some of the longest theological statements brought down to just a few words that you can easily take and, and, and chew on and digest can really bring forth the opportunity to, to live. It's these little axioms that, that just are easy to live by. To, to serve an audience of one is an easy thing to recognize. Because it says this, that I serve God only. I serve and I do and everything I say, everything I'm about is directed towards honoring the God of all creation. And so what that does is it recognizes this, that if I serve God only, now don't get me wrong on this, that means I don't serve anybody else. I don't serve the, the, the things of this world. Now that doesn't mean that I'm I, I'm, I'm absent from the, the rest of the kingdom and that I'm absent from the, the body of believers. But what it does mean is I am faithful to God and God alone. And I'm absolutely not faithful to the world. There's only one audience that really matters because in reality, the, if we serve God and his interests only, there will be a rippling effect on how we embrace the rest of the world. If we serve God only, he's not going to say, okay, we'll do the opposite of what's good for the church. Do the opposite of what's good for the people that, that live in your context. No, he's going to also embrace that as well. In verse 5 through 10, I'm going to read this again. It says, Then Ananias heard this. He fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, Tell me in the... Is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. And then Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And that moment she fell down at, the feet, at his feet and died. And the young men came in and found, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. See, the Holy Spirit knew that Ananias and Sapphira's hearts uh, were, were not bent towards God. Peter knew that these two people had their own agenda, and ultimately God knew their hearts as well. See, already knowing this answer is one that points us toward this understanding that we can't fool God. Genesis chapter 4 talks about the, the first murder that happens that's recorded in all of human history. 
Sadly, it was between, it was a fight between two brothers and one of them killed the other one. Cain killed his brother Abel. And in verse four, or chapter, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter four of Genesis, verse eight, it reads like this. This is after it took place or as it takes place and then after. It says, now Cain talked with Abel, his, son, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so here God is asking a question that he ultimately already knew the answer to. And then in verse 10, it says, and he, and, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground as if to say, I already know what's taken place. What have you done? Why have you done it? So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from his hand, from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And so God says here, he proclaims upon this murderer, upon Cain, you have murdered, you have, you have done this wrong thing, but you have also lied to your God. You've lied to the Father in heaven. And as a result, the response to your sins is that you will now be cursed. You will now receive spiritual death or separation. Spiritual death is the same as separation from God. Why do we think we can hide from God? Why do we think we can do things and just, well, as long as nobody else finds out? How do you know you're serving an audience of one? Here's some questions to ask yourself. The first one is this. Do you need credit or notoriety from people for your good deeds? Do you need everybody to know I've done this? Do you, does it need to be recorded? Does it need to be made known widely. The second one is this, are you willing to allow your deeds to appear better than they are in the eyes of others? Meaning that if you do something, are you okay or do you want everybody to think it was more than it really was? Do you emphasize your external works over your internal motives? And then finally, do you only serve or help others if there is a camera around to record it? General Charles Gordon, he's a peerless uh, military strategist, a legendary commander, a conqueror of many, stated this, I live before the audience of one. Before others, I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. The third point drives us into this place of missing the point. And here's the reality. I don't want us to miss the point on this passage. Because if we read this, we might come away saying, okay, if I sin, God's just going to kill me, and that's the end. Or I'm going to experience spiritual death, and that's the end. And I will say that sin does separate us from God. It does bring forth a divide from us and God. But I don't want us to, to leave here thinking, okay, well, God is some angry God that's just going to kill me no matter what if I ever do anything wrong. Oftentimes what happens is when we have uh, uh, moments in life where there's a place where we can learn something, life lessons, we, we miss the point entirely. So perhaps the, the, you, know, the, you look at a, an accident that happens and you think, oh, uh, I wonder what color the car was rather than realizing the real point is, okay, don't speed or don't uh, run a red light. In this specific case, in this passage, we read about a couple who lost their life because of selfish sin. Specifically, they lied to God, they lied to the church. And sadly, some might get hung up on the point and spend great mental capacity wondering how God could kill two people. But why did God do it? It's simple, somewhat simple in reading this understanding. God revealed how intensely he believes in the value of his church. 
God reveals here how important the church is and how important it is to have purity within the context of the church. He realizes that when we, when we separate, when we, when, we, when we have deception, when we, when we wear masks against one another, that divides the kingdom. And that's the, that's the simplest and the easiest and the most direct way that Satan attempts to try to destroy God and his kingdom. And so what God's doing here is he's saying, look, there is no place in my church for deception, for masks, for selfish ambition, for lying, for deceit, for anything else that would divide the people of God. God brought instant judgment on them, that is sure, that's to be sure, and not for the lack of giving, but for keeping some back and lying about it. He brought instant judgment to reveal the seriousness of purity, of honesty, and of faithfulness. And here's the result, because it's recorded here, as Luke put this down, verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I could imagine that right now, there's probably some we're thinking about, man, this is, there is some fear-based uh, response here. There is some, what, you know, what does this actually mean? But I could tell you right now, if, if somebody walked up to the front right now, and they lied to everybody, they lied to all of us, they just stood right here and they just lied to all of us. And then they died. Probably we would respond a little bit differently. Probably we would respond in the same way, in the same kind that they did. Wow, God is not putting up with lying, not putting up with deceit, not putting up with, it, with a lack of engagement within the context of the church body. And so the third point is this. Christ's followers must be honest with self, honest with others, and honest with God. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5 reads like this. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. And when we step into a relationship with God and his church, we're taking on the commitment of being honest and faithful to our Father in heaven and the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what does this look like? Ask yourself these questions. Do I allow God to enter, reside in me, and rule every part of my life? The second one, am I willing to allow my close brothers or sisters into the private spaces of my life to be able to embrace maybe an accountability partner? I'm not saying every person, but maybe one or two people. The third one, is there anything in my life right now that I'm trying to keep from my spouse, from my close friends or a loved one that may be considered deceptive or sinful or wrong? And then number four, am I being deceptive or trying to keep something from God? But it's not just about following a set of rules. There's something even more important to all of this. This, this straight and narrow path is, a, is an interesting concept, but it's not just about walking on a straight and narrow path on our own. It's about engaging in relationship with the God of all. Because ultimately, sin isn't just about us checking boxes of things that we're supposed to do and checking boxes of things that we're keeping from checking boxes of things that we're not supposed to do. Instead, this life, all of it is about being in relationship with God creator, the one who loves us all. And so the bottom line is this. God wants us to live honest and faithful lives because he desires us to reside in his presence. Because sin separates us from God, he recognizes sin must be absent from our lives so that we can be in his presence. Because ultimately that is the source of light, that is the source of good, that is the source of hope, is being with the God who provides those things for us. God doesn't do this because he's trying to take away your fun or take away your joy. God's doing it to give you joy. God's doing it because he loves you and he wants you to experience something far beyond the things of this world. 
You've probably been in, in situations before, and college students, maybe, especially if you're a freshman this year, you maybe haven't experienced this yet. It's hard to maintain a long-term or long-distance relationship. So if you're, if you're trying to engage with your parents, you need to continue to connect with them. You can't keep things from them. God's not a God who wants to take everything away and, 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 and make your life boring. No, he wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you life. He wants to grant you hope. Further, he wants to bring others into this saving grace of Jesus as well. And so part of our role isn't necessarily just to, to, to live in the presence of God, but it's to be a vessel, a conduit, so others can experience it too. 1 Peter 2, 12 reads like this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Because what better gift can we give than giving a, a, a picture of what it looks like to live out the gospel? What better gift than we, can we give than allow our lives to be a, a, a photo or a picture or a representation of what God calls for us to do, to live into as his followers? What better gift can we give than the good news of Jesus? Anything else of this world? Certainly there are going to be times where, hey, I've got this recommendation. I've got this good thing. There's, there's great thing. And I ask for recommendations all the time. Where should I take my car for this? Where do you, what, what dentist do you go to? I ask for recommendations all the time. Can I tell you, spiritually speaking, there is, there is nothing else. And even of this world, there is nothing else beyond, nothing else real, nothing else that matters but the love and embrace of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you today, if you have not experienced that before, there's never a more perfect time than today. If you're in this space right now, if you're in this place, you are here on purpose. The Holy Spirit brought you here. And it could be by invitation of somebody else. I get that. You may be here because, hey, that cute girl is here and I wanted to see her. And so I went there too, right? That's why I'm here today. Huh? <laughs> I think she's out in the coffee area right now, but it's my wife, just in case you want to know. <laughs> Forgot you don't all know me. That's good. <laughs> but certainly there are, there are many reasons we might have walked in the door today or many reasons why you might have turned on the live stream. But I can tell you right now, the Holy Spirit was in it all along. And he was in it because he was giving you the invitation to step forward. And whatever that invitation might be, it might be to say, hey, this is the first time ever that I've really heard about this Jesus. And I, I, I want to experience real and lasting hope. I want this love. I, I want unconditional love. I want to live differently. Maybe you've heard about it before and you, you, maybe you had a dark season over the summer. And it's like, hey, now it's time to, to kind of return to this. I, I, I get it. I, I've, I've messed up. I've been wearing a mask. Maybe you're in here now and there's a sin that you're attempting to try to cover up or keep and, and God's saying, hey, you know what? Make room for me and get rid of that. I'll take it away. I will remove it from you. I've got something more, something real for you. And so here's what we're going to do to conclude this series and at the same time to, to, to kind of launch this, the, the end of this, this month, but launch this year together. Is if you today, as I pray, if you want in any way to make a commitment, whether it's a, a new commitment to Christ, a, a rededication, maybe it's to, to give something up or to allow God to just permeate and fill within you. Maybe you just this morning, you want to feel a, a supernatural touch. You say, God, it's been a while since I've really uh, embraced you and, and I've been keeping my hands out for whatever reason, intentionally or unintentionally. I want to experience you today, whatever that might be, I'm just going to encourage you as I pray just to stand up. 
And in standing, you're saying to the rest of the church and the people around you, hey, I'm making a commitment and I want you to come alongside me in it. But also you're saying to God, hey, you know what? I'm taking this for real. I'm, I'm, I'm making a decision today. I'm saying yes to the Holy Spirit's call because that little thing within you, that's not your conscience. That's not some inner whatever. That, that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want more of you. Not because I'm possessive or whatever, but because I love you. And I know, God knows, he is the only thing that will sustain. And so would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you now in this place. And as we pray together as a church, we recognize that none of us are perfect. None of us, God, go around always doing everything right and always making the right decisions. But God, it is our desire as a church, and it should be our desire as individuals, Father, to take off the mask and follow you. And so God, as some stand right now, I can't help but realize, Father, that you are at work. I can't help but realize, Father, that you are moving. You are in our midst, Father. You are bringing forth a new day. And it's not about any kind of recognition. It's not about getting anybody's uh, attention. It's not about trying to prove something. But God, it has everything to do with your call, your leading, your way. And I know, God, there are probably more in this room that are wanting to stand but have not done so yet. And if they don't even do so in this space, God, I pray you give them time now. But if they don't even do so in this space, I pray, Father, that in their lives they do and that they would go to another. They go to another believer and say, here's what God is or has done in my life. Here's what he is doing. Here's the way that he is moving. And here's, here's, what, what I'm, here's how I'm responding. God, I pray that those things would be, would be discussed and that they would be an opportunity for, for more to be encouraged. God, I pray for honesty and I pray for faithfulness. May our hearts cry as your believers. May our hearts cry as your church be one that in all ways honors and glorifies you. May we seek you out. May we recognize who you are and what you've done. May we glorify you and lift up and edify your church in all aspects, in all ways, in all moments. Thank you, God. Thank you. You are the one that makes all things new. You are the one that transforms. May we live differently because of your presence. In your son's precious name that we pray today and all of us said once again together, amen. Let me read this benediction. This is from Psalm 138. It says, go with confidence into the days ahead, trusting in God's unfailing love and faithfulness. God will not abandon you. For you are the work of his hands, his own creation, and his love endures forever. So go enjoy and love and serve in the Lord. God bless you. Go this week in peace. Go this week knowing that God goes with you. God bless you all. You're dismissed and sent down. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.